The healthcare industry has undergone transformational change in the past 10 years, especially as it relates to the implementation of technology. Even so, there's much more to do and many companies are out there doing it, but you don't know about them. At Intrepid Healthcare, our podcast will bring you the crazy ones, the rebels, the troublemakers, the ones who see things differently. The people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world in healthcare. So sit tight and enjoy as we tell the story of another thought leading trailblazer. Welcome back to Intrepid Healthcare. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today with another trailblazing innovator. We're going to talk a lot about the politics of healthcare. We're going to get right to it today. We're joined by Sally Pipes, president of the Pacific Research Institute and author of the new book, The Way Out of Obamacare. Sally, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Well, thanks for making the time today. Before we begin our discussion, could you take a few seconds and tell the audience about you and your background? Yes, I'm President, CEO, and the Thomas W. Smith Fellow in Healthcare Policy at Pacific Research Institute, a position I've held for almost 25 years. And before that, I was in Canada, a naturalized American now, but I work as Assistant Director of the Fraser Institute in Vancouver, Canada, where we started to do a lot of work on healthcare in the late 80s when we realized the single-payer Medicare for All system was resulting in long waits for care. So we started a project called Waiting Your Turn, a guide to hospital waiting lists in Canada. When I came to the U.S. in the fall of 91, I'd been very involved in, as I'm an economist, very involved in healthcare through Hillary Care, through single-payer initiatives that have been on various ballots in California. And then I've written about five or six books on healthcare, on various aspects of various laws. In particular, most recently in the last six years, I've probably written four or five books on Obamacare. And the law just celebrated its sixth birthday. And I'm very much against federal government getting so involved in our healthcare system. <laughs> As are our listeners, I'll tell you that for sure. And you've given us a perfect segue to the next question. We take a couple minutes and give our audience a 10,000-foot overview of your new book, The Way Out of Obamacare. Well, The Way Out of Obamacare follows on from another encounter book I did in 2014 called The Cure for Obamacare. As this uh, presidential election year gets underway, there's a lot of criticism out there among electorate about Obamacare, about the fact that Republicans don't have a single replacement plan. So I wrote this book. It's a very short book, The Way Out of Obamacare, so that people, the man on the street, can see what Obamacare is really like and what it's doing to our health care, increasing the role of the federal government rather than empowering doctors and patients. So it is a 10-step guide to a replacement plan, which I'm hoping that candidates will find useful as they go around talking to various audiences and also explaining why we're in the predicament that we're in through Obamacare, why enrollment numbers are down, why health insurance companies are threatening to get out of the market. So it's really a replacement plan that candidates should find useful as they talk to their various constituencies. That's great. Sally, as a basis here, can you start and tell us basically what Obamacare is and what it's all about? Well, Obamacare is the nickname for the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. It was signed into law on March 23, 2010. It was passed without a single Republican vote. It is 
really, in my mind, the law empowers the federal government to take over more and more control of our health care through setting up of exchanges, making people either purchase insurance or if they don't purchase insurance and can't prove they have coverage, then they have to pay a penalty, which is called the individual mandate. But this law really puts the federal government in charge through an employer mandate, an individual mandate, setting up exchanges, dictating what a essential benefit plan should look like, what the premiums will be, what deductibles will be, and who is to be covered. And it's really the law uh, really, as I say, empowers the federal government to get more and more involved in our health care. And I think the ultimate goal of the president and many people, such as former Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, they really want the law to fail because they want a single-payer Medicare for All system where we would all be receiving our health care through the federal government and a true single-payer system where private insurance would be outlawed under the law, just as it is in Canada today. So you've mentioned several health insurers are either opting out or saying they're going to opt out. What will this mean for the future of the exchanges that Obamacare brought? Well, I think when you look at the poll numbers, I mean, even today, about 54% of Americans polled say they would like to see the law repealed and replaced. They're very disapproving of it. And the reasons are several, but in particular, the premiums are a lot higher than they'd been promised. Remember, President Obama had promised the American people that their premiums would go down on average by $2,500, and that has just proved not to be the case. He promised that if you like your doctor and you like your insurance company, nothing would change. Five million people lost their coverage. So premiums are up, deductibles are up. And I think one of the things that is very disconcerting to people, and particularly when they need health care, is the fact that the networks of doctors and hospitals are so much smaller than they had expected when they purchase a plan in the exchange. So there are 38 states have now signed on to the federal exchange called healthcare.gov, and the remaining 12 states plus the District of Columbia set up their own state-based exchanges. The problem for insurance companies who've been providing coverage under these various metallic plans, platinum, gold, silver, and bronze, is that the insurance companies are finding, as of last year, that they were losing significant amounts of money on these exchange plans. And the reason is that people have used are using a lot more health care and a lot more expensive health care than their actuaries had predicted. So as a result, United Healthcare, Steve Hemsley, the CEO of United, the largest U.S. insurer, said that last year, 2015, they lost $720 million on their exchange coverage. This year, they are expecting a loss of $500 million. Aetna CEO Mark Bertolini said they're very concerned about the overall stability of the risk pool. And so, you know, the problem is that the young people, I think the people in the administration, the president thought that the young people, the young invincibles, the 18 to 34-year-olds would jump at the opportunity to have to purchase health insurance and that they would make up 40% of the pool. Unfortunately, young people saw Obamacare as very expensive. The average premium this year is $408 a month if you don't have a subsidy. And as a result, young people are saying, well, we'd rather pay that the penalty of $695 or 2.5% of our income, whichever is greater. And so young people are only accounting for 28% of the pool, not 40%. And then on top of that, there was a special enrollment period that the government has allowed so that people 
who had some sort of a catastrophe, whether they get divorced, whether uh, there was a death in the family, whether they lost their job, they could enroll in insurance coverage in an exchange outside of the open enrollment period. So, But what has happened is, and what the insurance companies have found, that a lot of these people that signed up on the open enrollment period, I mean, in the special enrollment period, where they didn't, you know, they didn't have coverage before, they're people who tend to be older and tend to be sicker. And so as soon as they, you know, get their bills paid from seeing the doctor or going to the hospital, they're dropping out of the insurance plan. So this has put tremendous pressure on the insurance company. So the special enrollment period with people purchasing coverage outside open enrollment period, plus the young people not signing up in the numbers that they had expected has caused these insurance companies such as United, Aetna, Humana, Cigna, and some of the Blue Cross Blue Shield plans to report major losses. What this means is if they are continuing to have losses from the their exchange coverage, they are going to drop out of the exchange business. And this is going to be, I think, one of the major reasons for implosion of Obamacare. You know, Sally, when it first started, I was of the mind that said, it's not perfect, but we need to work together and make it better, make it better, make it better. But you mentioned a number just over $400 for an individual to get a basic plan and those people are opting out. Well, I'm a small business owner and before Obamacare, my premium for my family with what was much better than a gold plan than is offered today was less than $500 a month. Right, exactly. And now my premium for that gold plan would be over $3,000 a month. I'm not at silver. I'm at the minimum passable insurance with huge deductibles, and I'm paying over $1,000 a month. And for a small business owner who has to make the decision, do I grow? Do I invest in my business? Do I get more employees? I'm not going to do it right now because I'm hoping that something's going to change with this next election. And I've been hoping almost now for seven years. And I'm in a position where I could invest in my business and make it grow. I fear that one of the bigger problems is all the people in my position that have been thrown into this high-risk pool that weren't in a high-risk pool before, that are small business owners are making the same decision I'm making. You're absolutely right. The numbers show that have come out, you know, now that Obamacare has been around for six years, now we have statistics. And small business owners, as you say, are not expanding their business. They're reducing the number of hours of work. They're hiring part-time people. And, you know, small business is the engine of growth in this country. And if we are destroying that engine of innovation and small business entrepreneurs, small business entrepreneurship, this is going to destroy job growth in this country. And certainly what you have said has been so common among small business owners saying this is too expensive. And particularly, you know, a lot of people with, are faced with a deductible of $3,500 to 5000 A lot of people, middle-income people, do not have that kind of money sitting around waiting to cover their deductible. And as a result, will delay getting medical help. Yeah, which creates other problems downstream. Right, more expensive care if you let things move along without taking care of medical problems in the beginning. So Sally, tell us, what must be done by the federal government to make insurance more affordable and to increase accessibility? Well, we all want affordable, accessible, quality care. That is the goal of, of everybody. But increasing the role of the federal government in our health care system through something like Obamacare is not the way to achieve affordable, accessible, quality care. We have a major problem with our health care system is that during World War II, 
when wage and price controls were in, the federal government gave employers the right to write off the cost of providing health care for their employees, and their employees get their health coverage tax-free. But if you lose your job or you quit your job and go out into the individual market, you have to buy your health coverage with after-tax dollars. And so we have a very a playing field that is not level. And so we really need to change the tax code so that those individuals who don't have coverage or who have lost their jobs can get coverage and the type of coverage that suits their needs and those of their families. And the way to do that is through age-based refundable tax credits, as Dr. Tom Price has said, as a number of people, including in my own book, where tax credit would be based on your age. So people 18 to 35 would have a tax credit of $1,200. If you're 35 to 50, $2,100. And for those people over 50, the tax credit would be $3,000. Many years ago, I supported the whole idea, which Donald Trump has been talking about, about the tax deduction. But the problem is that about 40% of people in this country don't pay income tax. So the age-based refundable tax credit is a much better idea. And the credit should go to the individual, not to the insurance company, so that individuals can get the type of plan that suits them, whether it's a health savings account or whether it's a a plan with United or Anthem or whomever. But this is the way to level the playing field. And also, you know, about 160 million Americans have employer-based coverage. And, you know, really, we shouldn't be getting our health coverage through our employers. But my long-term goal is to get away from employer-based coverage and have people, families and individuals, have the choice to get the type of coverage that they need and not get it through their employer. Uh, I agree with you more. And that goes on the other side of health care, kind of on the quality and the cost of health care that we haven't talked about. When we're disintermediated from the paying of our health care services, the nonsense that goes on of the health care not being designed to be consumer friendly, I think we just have to stop. So I'm ready to pay my own health care costs and ready to control my own health care dollars because I don't want health care to be designed around the convenience of a physician or whatever else is uh, being designed around today. I want it to be designed around the convenience of me and the problems I have. Well, yes, I mean, one of the big issues in our health care system is, in addition to um, employer-based coverage, is the mandates and regulations the health care law and many state laws have done in putting these mandates and regulations on insurance companies that add, you know, 20 to 50 percent to the cost. You may want a plan that covers, you know, in vitro fertilization. I may want a plan that covers alcohol rehabilitation because of the work but it's so stressful. But, you know, but people should be able to get the kind of plan that suits their needs and not be forced to pay for all of these mandates, whether it's hair prosthesis drug rehabilitation. Not everybody wants that. They should be able to get the type of plan that suits their needs. So these mandates, and then when under the Obamacare, the essential benefit plan came in where your checkups are free. If you're a woman, your pap smear is free. You get free maternity training. All of these things, they are not free. They add significantly to the cost of coverage. And I think, you know, Obamacare is one of the reasons that health savings accounts you know, have become so popular because about 19 million Americans now have health savings accounts, the account where you put your money away each month in a bank account and it rolls forward tax-free and you can use it for legitimate medical expenses. It has to be combined with a high deductible insurance plan, but this is a way to put 
families in charge of their health care. And so that's why HSAs have been so popular. And it gets that the government, the middleman, out of the action. And I think I'm a huge fan of HSAs because I want to empower doctors and patients. Perfect. You teased us a little bit talking about the Trump health care plan. What else can you tell us about Trump's health care plan? Well, it looks today like we have left in the race Mr. Kasich, the governor of Ohio, Senator Ted Cruz, and, of course, Donald Trump, who came from nowhere and appears to be in the lead in the delegates. His views on health care have really been all over the map. I mean, you know, he's been in favor of the individual mandate. He's been against the individual mandate. He's been for single-payer system i.e. Medicare for all. I remember in the early days when he first got into the race, he said single payer is great. Canada's system is great. Scotland's is terrific. I don't think he really understood what it means when government is the payer of your health care and why in countries like Canada and the UK, there are long waiting lists for care because government sets the budget of what they're going to pay. And as a result, in Canada today, the average wait from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist is over four months. And the same thing would happen here. And we've seen that with the Veterans Administration, the long waiting list for care, the denial of, of coverage, the denial of certain uh, the new drugs. But so uh, Mr. Trump has moved away from single payer, and he now has a, a seven-point plan, which he released on March the 2nd. He's calling it health care reform to make America great again. And he says he wants to repeal and replace Obamacare with something terrific. I mean, he in his seven-point plan, he talks about insurance companies being able to sell coverage across state lines, that individual insurance payments should be fully tax-deductible. But I'm, as I said earlier, I support the age-based refundable tax credit. He supports health savings accounts for individuals. And I think one of the wrinkles that, that are in his plan, which I support, and I had not heard before, was that if you put money into an HSA and you build it up, and then you pass away, that he believes that that money, which will be part of your estate, should be passed on to your next of kin and not is subject to the estate tax. He does now support getting rid of the individual mandate. He would like to convert Medicaid into a block grant plan, which is good. That's a number of us support that. The two things in his plan that I don't like, one is he supports drug importation, which would mean that drugs could be imported from countries like Canada where drugs are cheaper because those countries have price controls. The research and development of all these new drugs we have are not done there. They're done in the United States. These countries free ride off our R&D. But a country like Canada with 37 million people cannot supply the United States with drugs that are on that are available there because there would be no drugs left for Canadians. And the other part of the plan that I, I don't like in his plan is, and I think he probably you know, maybe hasn't thought about these things in, you know, in a detailed way. They are complicated. But he supports the government being able to negotiate drug prices with the pharmaceutical companies for those drugs which fall under Medicare Part D, the seniors' drug program, which was passed into law under President George W. Bush. But government doesn't negotiate prices. Government dictates prices. And we have found that by not having price controls, on pharmaceuticals under Medicare Part D, that Medicare Part D's cost has come in significantly lower than what was forecast by the Congressional Budget Office and the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. So I think he's wrong on drug importation. He's wrong on government negotiating prices. But it may well be that, you know, he just hasn't looked into it or hasn't had the kind of advisors that could tell him why, you know, these are not good ideas. But I am glad, because remember when he was on that 60 Minutes, 
show with Scott Pelley and told Scott Pelley that he wanted everyone to be covered. He didn't want people dying in the streets. Well, nobody in America dies in the streets because they don't have health care. Everybody is entitled to turn up at an emergency room. It is expensive care, but that is part of the law, and or turn up at a community hospital. But when Pelley asked Mr. Trump how he would pay for all of this, he replied, the government is going to pay for it. But then he is denied saying that. But I think with his seven-point plan, uh, health care reform to make America great again, he's thought through a few of these things. But I'm still not completely convinced that he is committed to a health care plan that empowers doctors and patients and not the government. So I'm hoping that if he does become the candidate, that he will seek out a number of people in economists who've done a lot of work on health care that really know what a replacement plan would be like that would bring about affordable, accessible, quality care for all and not putting the federal government in charge of health care decisions. As we talk now at the end of March, it looks like Hillary Clinton has a line to be a candidate for the Democratic Party. Do you have an idea of what her plan looks like? Well, yes. Um, Hillary, of course, was the author of Hillary Care back, I guess it was 1993. Of course, she had to abandon that plan. Now, unlike Bernie Sanders, who is her chief rival, who says he's he is a big supporter of single-payer Medicare for all, um, Hillary says that she would like to build on Obamacare. She would like, i.e., Obamacare 2.0. She does support price controls on pharmaceuticals. She thinks that we should put the public option back into the exchanges so that there would be a government health care plan within the exchanges which would compete against private insurers. And that worries me a lot because there was a public option in the original House plan. The Senate pulled it out of Obamacare. But if you put a public option in there, the government will price their plan lower than private insurers can afford to charge for their coverage. So private insurers will be crowded out and we'll all be left in a single-payer Medicare for All program. So her plan is Obamacare 2.0, building on Obamacare, and I think really leading us, even though she won't admit it, down the path to a Medicare for All system. Great. And if you were president, what's the best health care system? How would that look? So uh, the best health care system would be my 10-point plan in the way out of Obamacare, i.e. leveling the playing field on the tax side, getting rid of mandates and regulations on insurance companies, putting consumers in the driver's seat through health savings accounts, protecting those people with pre-existing conditions. As long as they continue to have health coverage, then they should be able to get renewed coverage. And I think that that is an important part that the Republicans need to think about because one of the big problems with our health care system before was that if someone had a pre-existing condition and they lost their job, they went into the individual market, they either could not get or they could not afford coverage. So we need to protect those people with pre-existing conditions until we get a properly functioning health care market where everybody owns their own coverage and don't have employer-based coverage. We also need to, at the state level, I don't believe this should be done by the federal government, but I do think that state-based medical malpractice reform is an important part to reducing the cost of health care because doctors, unlike what the president said, he said President Obama before he was president said doctors, you know, are lining their pockets with money because they're doing all of these unnecessary tests. 
the reason that doctors do a lot of tests is because they are afraid of being sued. They do practice defensive medicine. So if you capped non-economic damages and punitive damages, as has been done in California under the micro law, you could really reduce um, the cost of a lot of these abuses in the tort liability system. So those are some of the things I believe that Medicare, the program for seniors, which turned 50 last year, Medicare should be a program of premium support. Why should very wealthy people like a Warren Buffett even be eligible for Medicare? Medicare should be there for those people who are seniors who are who don't have the kind of money to get coverage. So we need premium support. We need to raise the eligibility age, and Medicare should be means-tested. For low-income Americans under Medicaid, I think that the program should be block-granted so the states can decide how they want to spend those federal dollars. Right now, you know, an additional 17 million people in this country have been added to Medicaid, this program for low-income Americans, under Obamacare. And what's happening is these people cannot find doctors or they're on long waiting lists because the reimbursement rate for doctors for treating people on Medicaid is very, very low. So while the uninsured number has come down, definitely down by about 16 million to about 28 million now, the 71% of the people that are now insured are on Medicaid. And so this is a huge, huge problem. So those are some of the things that if I were the president and I were and was able to get Congress to repeal Obamacare and we were set to replace it, those are some of the things that would be in my healthcare replacement plan. Awesome, Sally. Thank you so much for that. For those that want to learn a bit more and get your book and learn from it, where should they go to find out more about it? Our website is www.pacificresearch.org. And so all of our, our website contains all of the information on all the programs that we run. And then my book is available, The Way Out of Obamacare, Encounter Books, and it is available on Amazon.com. Perfect, Sally. It was so great to have you here. Thanks for shopping by and sharing your great wisdom with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me, and let's hope that Obamacare comes to an end and we can get a real healthcare system, market-based one. I think we would all like that. We really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Sally Pipes, I'm Joe Lavelle, and we'll see you soon on Intrepid Healthcare.